The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. G'day everyone and welcome I to the Big the Footy power. Port Adelaide podcast, live on Port Fan Radio. I'm your host, Mac 19 Joining us is the Rickster. How are you, mate? Bloody good, mate. Bloody good. That's the way. That's what I like to hear. And for the three-way is Porsche. How good is Zach Butters? Oh, that play was unbelievable. Uh, absolutely absurd. I just keep rewatching it and just going, how? What? And he got away with a headbutt as well. So, happy yeah, days. apparently. How Amazing. brave is um, Xavier Dersma? Very brave. Yeah, yeah. What a player. I think there's a, a lack of Xavier Dersma appreciation from you, Porsche. Oh, I've only been talking for a minute, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting in early. Jesus. Getting in early. There you go. Very early. Come on. All right, let's, uh, let's get into it and do our love and hate. I assume no one's got a hate this week. Uh, are we, uh, do you want one? Or, I mean, I can always. Well, if you one. got, yeah, I don't have one. But if you got one, then we can we can have one. Um, I, I love. Well, I love the end result. I hate the doubt that it has put into me that uh, Hawkins came out of the match with like zero goals, five, because it just feels like, ooh, we got away with it. But ooh, that's worrying when it's mm. when a tall forward has that sort of day out and you only win by a bit over two goals. Ooh. Um, yeah, that's my hate. That's my only hate, really. Fair enough. I would say that um, almost all his shots were from the boundary, though. Well, yeah, pretty much, pretty much every single shot was on worse than a forty-five degree angle. Oh no, there were a couple that were. Like, there was definitely one that was absolutely he should have got. You would say, oh, yeah. um, and a couple were, but like even on odds, like even on odds, you know. Like, uh, that was zero goals, zero goals five, but I mean, one of them was out on the full as well. So he had, like, six shots. I don't know. Like, it's still through key forward. That's kind of odds against. Mm. He should have he kicked two goals, really. There was two. Yeah, there was two. Yeah. He, he had that one on, like, um, a third both, both in the second quarter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that snap, that lazy snap he had showed that his head wasn't in the game. Yeah. yeah, when he missed that third one, that the first one in the third quarter was his third shot on goal. When he missed that one, I thought, "Oh, we're we've got in his head here a bit." And then when he took that mark and did that lazy one foot snapshot and missed by a mile, I thought, "He's not kicking a goal tonight. He's just mm. absolutely cooked mentally." And uh, and mm. we're on, we're on here. Yeah. Yep. Which was great. Yep. But um, it's sort of yeah. Look, I mean, it's it, it's good, but it just does make me worry when we know that our next couple of matches are probably going to be against teams that have key forwards, and we can't expect the ball to get zero goals five. It's just going to be interesting to see how we go. True, true. We just need to kick more. We do. That's right. Yeah. Look, absolutely. But um, if you, you wanted a hate, that was my hate. That was because it enough. gave me that seed of doubt that I don't like. I mean, our key forward did nothing either. So. Well, there's a hate, Macca. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's pretty common. Oh, there you go. Yeah, no mark, mark the ball. Our key forwards kept dropping the ball. Mark yeah. the bloody ball. That was yeah. my frustration. 
Yeah, yeah and I mean, sure it's not, I'm not, I'm not judging on the uh, the difficult ones. That we had some sitters that we probably should have nailed, and both the boys dropped them in Laddams and uh, and Dixon. Yeah. Well, between the three uh, of them, they uh, only took two marks, so that's that's well under expectations for marks for for key forwards. And yeah, you, you're dead on. I think Dixon probably dropped two or three absolute sitters where he was in the box seat, had separation on his opponent, and just dropped them. I love that Maka was trying to be positive and talk about how there couldn't possibly be any negatives, and now we spent like five minutes talking about things he didn't like about the game. Well, there's only, only three minutes <laughs> left to, to discuss the game now, so. <laughs> Actually, the open yeah. box catering was absolutely diabolically bad. Yeah? Oh, really? Yeah. It was the worst I've ever experienced. They, they obviously went tight and they got the, um, they got the old Nova deck to actually um, provide the food for the open boxes. And uh, not like it was life-threatening or I was hungry, so it didn't really matter. But, you know, when you pay good money, you expect some sort of service, right? And mm. So they would bring... They had, that room, they had that room serving, like, individual hamburgers, and it took them, like, an hour and a half to serve the open boxes in that area, the hamburgers. It was just um, wow. crazy. So if you go in an open box, guys, for the preliminary final, just... Um, Buy beer and don't worry about um, the food. So would that be something that the SMA runs and therefore they're trying to run as cheap as possible? Yep. Yep, okay. Yeah. That's pretty much on form there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why the lights of the ground don't come on until about two minutes before the start of the game as well. So, which is odd. Because usually they have them blaring at like 4pm. But Yep. I was wondering why I... um had to use my phone torch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. That is it. Well, let's get to our loves. I'm sure we've got some loves to go with those uh, numerous hates there. But uh, Rick, what's your yeah. love for the game, mate? I loved, once again, Xavier Dersma's courage. Uh, I just think the young kid probably goes flies under the radar behind Butters and Rosie and those two players are amazing but you know Zach, um, Zach um, Xavier is very consistent you know but he, he's just as courageous as anyone in the league and, and what he did in that third quarter um, was just yeah amazing for a young kid with no fear that's not his first heavy hit in the year and I think it, it should really just make the pair of you stand up and take a bit of notice after you were very critical of his um, drafting two years ago I remember that that podcast and how animated you both were on him being selected, but did uh, I ever say he was a coward? Pardon? Did I ever say was Did I ever say he was a coward, Rick, or that he backed out of contest? No, no, I never said you. No, you never. But you did think he was pretty vanilla. Well, you know, he's not exactly had a, a fantastic season, has he? I think the hamstring injury has probably held him back a little bit. I reckon that sort of knocked I'm his confidence. That. Because his Pardon? fitness is a huge part. His fitness is a huge part of his game, Rick. Like I, that, that was probably my criticism that his fitness was such a huge part of his game. And so, had that hamstring injury, absolutely cripples his game. Um, but you know, you want to say that's the reason why I shouldn't have been critical of Disney. Like he, the things that he does well are not things I ever criticised him for. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think he's had as. I don't think he's had anywhere near as good a year as what uh, he had last year, but 
He's had no. some real key moments in a lot of games where you just go, wow, that was bloody great. And that moment on the weekend, or on Thursday night, sorry, was uh, was another one of those. And you know, to have the courage as what, like a 19-year-old to to back back or run back with the flight of the ball, not even flinch, and uh, and essentially take that mark as well, and then get you know flattened by a 105 kilo ruckman. Um, so takes a lot mark of guts. Was it? Well, look, uh, Blitzarv's had first crack at it, but Dersma finished with it, so it should have been a bowl-up, really. Yep. But that was just one of many uh, many frustrating, uh, uh, umpiring decisions on the evening, I think. But, uh, look, with Dersma, I think, um, you know, you made a big statement last week, Rick, saying that uh, Butters wouldn't play 200 games for Port Adelaide. I'm going to say that my big statement this week is going to be Xavier Dersma will be the next captain of Port Adelaide. Mm, good call. I like that. That's, uh, that's yeah, my thoughts like on the matter. The next captain or will be a captain? Uh, well, now, now that I think of it, Houston's there as well, but I think he will definitely captain. I'll, I'll change it. To really? That. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I mean, I think we're lucky. We've got a lot of natural leaders that that appear to, from the outside looking in, you'd think, like, in the future, um, not only Xavier, but you've got Houston, you've got uh, Zach Butters, I think, the way he's playing, you know, he could be a potential um, future captain. Um, yeah, I think we're sort of a bit, you know, got Ollie that I'm sure is keen to do it again if he's hanging around. Riley so Bonner, sort of I mean, from... heaps, heaps of guys. Riley's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, so who is your pick for the next captain? Well, it would either be Houston Mine. or Dersma for me. Portia? I'd probably be Team Houston. Um, I'd like to know uh, what Ryan Burton is like around the club because I think that if you're looking for someone that can keep their head and do important things, he would be potentially on the list. Yeah, I'd agree um, I think that, uh, look, I mean, there's no possible. Butters is also possible, for sure. Um, because as much as anything, a good thing for a captain of the Port Adelaide Football Club is to be a frenetic. Um, I think that would be a nice thing. Yeah. Uh, can keep him on that list as well. Fair. Grace on the speaker chat has said that Wines will be the next captain, surely, and said that uh, Bonner as captain is uh, fan fiction, which, uh, yeah, was a little bit of a joke there. Obviously, it didn't, uh, didn't land that yeah. one, but that's all right. Uh, Scott Ken Collins has said DBJ, potential. Ah, oh, Scotty's listening in. What a man. What a legend. I, I, can't, see, I can't see Burn Jones doing it just because I'm not sure that's his personality. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think you've got to have... I don't think, like, I don't think Berger. No. no. Vice-captain, yes. Is Houston, but not main captain. Is, is Houston a little bit too reckless? Is he a bit too much of a party boy, maybe? Well, I thought he would have been a captain in waiting, but he's made a couple of um, poor decisions in the recent past. Mm, he's made one bad decision. I thought he had another um, disciplinary issue last year as well. I can't remember what. Someone will remember. That was Burn Jones who missed a, missed a training or something like that. 
and then missed, it? It, missed a game because of it. Yeah. That's probably what you're thinking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, I reckon it is. Yeah. Portia, what's your love this week? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, Zach Butters is a pretty big one. Um, that was a that was definitely a love. Uh, I enjoyed getting that we actually got a win over Geelong. Um, and I, I particularly enjoy that we managed to beat the umpires as well. That umpiring was absolutely bizarre, uh, particularly in relation to holding the ball. And just like even between the three umpires, they couldn't agree on what it actually was or meant at any point at any, at any, during the game at all. Huge, mm. huge inconsistencies. Um, Barry, Barry Ablett was great at throwing the ball away, wasn't he, when he got tackled? He's very oh, good gosh. at that. He's very good at that. The, the umpiring was just bizarre. Like, for, for the most part, it was fine. I didn't think it really favoured one way or the other, but there was five or six absolutely horrific decisions that you would think uh, finals umpires should not be making, as well as the fact that one umpire was bouncing the ball, like, not in the middle of the... Centre square in the centre circle, mm. which was also what, quite what strange. What was with that? I have no idea. I've <laughs> was there like no, a little was there a there. divot in the middle of the bloody circle or something? Or oh, I don't know. Were they missing the footy park that plate was, or something? That was the most bewildering part of the whole game for me because I've never seen an umpire consistently, intentionally go to a soft spot inside the circle. To bounce the ball, it just made no. There was no logical sense, and I've never seen an umpire do it before. Yeah, that was just uh, that was very strange, very very strange. But um, as I said, there was probably five or six absolutely horrific decisions. I reckon. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and most of, mostly to do with tackling and holding the ball in my view. Like that was just really yeah. that area they really did not have any control over at all. That whole game, totally bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so that that you know that was a, a concern, but as far as the likes, I guess uh, Stephen Motlock finally made me sound like I'm not an idiot after the preview show. That was great. What? Uh, as I mentioned, as I said in the preview show, like there's been about five or six games in the past where I've said, "Oh, this is the game Stephen Motlock's going to step up. He's going to kick three goals. are going to be really important." And he finally bloody did it. So and then he the final too. So thank God. What a for game that. to do it. Uh, I just hope he can keep doing it. Mm-hmm. He needs to, because, I mean, look, he kicked three goals, and he did a really good tap to set up that Laddams goal on the back of Butters' collision. Um, yeah. But, gee, I still want more from him. <laughs> I know that's rough, but I still well, want to see more from him. I still want to see him more involved in, in the game than he was even this week. I thought that he was, uh, I don't know, he could have easily ended up with five. Like, there was two shots where, uh, I think there was one which was just smothered, which ended up in a Brad Ebert goal like about three seconds later. And there was another one where he had a, had a snap which just fell short as well. So he was unlucky. He could have easily ended up with five and I would have jumped on the ground and given him a hug, I reckon. But mm. That was amazing. Uh, my, my love uh, this week and uh, is the crowd. The crowd was absolutely electric. Hi. I've not heard a crowd like that at uh, Adelaide Oval in a very long time. Um, I wasn't at the Richmond game, but I thought there was a lot of similarities there from the strange free kicks and umpiring decisions, which just seemed to send the crowd overboard. And from those two uh, in-the-back tackles that got paid against us in the second quarter, the the second one which led to 
Um, Zach Butters winning the free kick as retaliation for the, the headbutt. Um, from mm. that moment on, the crowd was just fucking nuts. <laughs> I've never... I'm, I haven't heard... That was the loudest crowd I've been at since the 04 prelim, I reckon. It was that loud. It was great. And look, I've been really critical of port crowds for a very long time now because I thought... You know, we had that first year at Adelaide Oval and, you know, the crowd were loving it, really involved. And then from sort of 2015 onwards, we've almost steadily turned into a crow's crowd where we just sit on our hands and if something good happens, great. But otherwise, we just don't make a noise. And it's just like being at a theatre. But um, I'm, I'm very thankful that uh, there's been a, at least a couple of games this year where the crowd, I felt, has been a major part of why we won. Yep. No, that's really good. You could see it. I mean, I obviously wasn't there. You could see it on TV, and you could hear it on TV just how imposing the crowd was. And unfortunately, even in unique circumstances where that was probably the noisiest crowd any umpires are in front of this year at all, we still don't get home home side free. So that's just bizarre. But there you go. Yeah. That uh, is it. I, I guess so, Matthew. You, you got to think like when the season's gone by. I guess. We haven't had as many games where there's as much on the line, and yep. the games where the games where we did have something on the line, the the players have more so capitulated rather than stood up under pressure. So instead of getting the 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 jubilant cheers or the encouragement, we've had the the monotone sighs on on mass scale because you know you're someone's fluffed a kick and it's gone to the opposition and result in a turnover and a goal or a high tackle or whatever. So I think, I don't know, it's one of those causal things, right? I think the crowd is a reflection of the team and what the team does. And the team is doing all the right things, which creates the energy in the crowd to be proactive and, and support them. And yeah, it's exciting. They're playing, playing an exciting brand of football and we've got a home preliminary final, dudes. We Which we're 100 for in the AFL, 100% record in the AFL. Yep. Let's make sure that continues. Well, let's talk about uh, what happened on Thursday night. It was the qualifying final. Port played Geelong, and we came away with a, a fantastic victory by 16 points, nine goals, four to five goals, 12. Stevie Motlop, the stars, we spoke about with three goals. Also, Brad Ebert hit two as well. Uh, the, the first 10 minutes when the game was pretty red hot, uh, how did you think we came out of the gates, Rick? I thought we came out pretty well. Um, Sam Pepper was probably the standout for us in the first quarter, wasn't he? Um, I think Gavin went, they went to Gavin Wanganeen, what, 20 times to ask um, how many clearances uh, Sam got. But, mm. um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, look, we handled the pressure and we started reasonable. I don't think we started great. Uh, but for us, you know, being sort of newbies in finals against an experienced side, I think if we could break even, um, you know, that was that was a win for us to help us compose ourselves. And, and yeah, I, some of our midfielders didn't start as well as probably what they would like, but Sam stood up and uh, he really uh, sort of gave us the forward momentum. I don't know, what did you guys think? Borsha? Ah. Uh... Yeah, look, I mean, I, I felt like we were still in it. It's just that we were being held, you know, we were being held back from ideally where we should be um, on the scoreboard. Um, it was just a really, look, it was just a really tight match. It was a huge conflict of two very different styles of football and, you know, there were bits of up and down and uh, a lot of um, 
difficulty in getting done what needed to be done. Like I think Geelong, they were pretty defensive. We were pretty aggressive in our contesting, which uh, should have had more return for us than it did, quite honestly. Um, but, you know, uh, anyway, uh, so that's, yeah. I thought I thought it was just a level game. We were waiting. We were waiting the whole time, and honestly, it was. We we're talking about it in the preview. Um, you know, we were waiting basically for Geelong to break, uh, mm. and you could feel that uh, when you're watching the game. That that's really what we were waiting for: is for Geelong to break mm-hmm. at some point, because it's what we needed to do. Um, it certainly didn't happen in the first quarter, um, but later on we had that passage of play, which we'll probably get to, I guess, if you're doing it quarter by quarter. Um, and I'll leave it for that. Absolutely. Yeah, look, I thought Geelong started a bit better. They were a bit cleaner with the bowl, um, and they were able to shut the crowd out of it for the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes. But, you know, we had a few real big moments that showed that we were switched on ourselves. As you mentioned, Pal Pepper had a great first quarter. Um, there was a play where Hartlett ran sort of 20 metres towards the boundary to slide into a contest against Parfit to negate the goal. Geelong were out if they won that one. And uh, Boak had some really big clearances early. And... Um, yeah, it just showed that we were actually switched on. I was a bit concerned when, you know, 15 seconds into the game, they're already having a shot at goal. I thought, oh, God, that's just... You know, if Hawkins kicked that, that's just the wrong sort of start that we would have wanted. But um, thankfully, he missed everything, and uh, and away we went. That was pretty good. At halftime, I think we are up by a point. Uh, kicked a goal after the siren. Brad Ebert, you beauty. Uh, what were your thoughts then, guys? Rick, you started about it. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, look. I thought it was. I thought the Brad Ebert goal was fundamentally huge for us. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a real momentum winner. Um, you know, Geelong were sort of surging a little bit near the end of that, or well, the second half of that second quarter, and they're probably the better team in the second quarter compared to Port. You know, I mean, we're talking a game of inches here in comparison because both teams, I thought, played well, but. It just seemed like Geelong were the more dominant side, didn't take a couple of their chances. And, um, you know, so we did wrestle back the lead and then to lose it so quickly, I think, yeah, just it was good for Brad to nail that goal under pressure. And I, I don't know, I mean, for me, I think it's a, that's a really difficult kick because most often when you see a player and the siren goes off after the siren in their kicking routine, nearly like golf, like a point of impact, you see a lot of players get distracted and, and sort of fluff it. But, you know, he was able to, you know, right on the kick, the siren goes. The, 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 this, that uh, umpire per- timed it perfectly. But, <coughs> excuse me, Brad uh, kept himself under pressure in gold. And I think, yeah, that that gave us great momentum to carry into the halftime break. Mm. Porsche? Yeah, look, um, like I said, this basically was pretty much the same as the first quarter in that, uh, I guess the difference was that in the first quarter, I felt like we had a lot of it and we weren't taking our chances. And the second quarter, obviously Geelong, uh, like Rick said, like they had a lot more of the ball, but they were also hamstrung by the fact that, you know, they were playing fairly conservatively um, and therefore they were not being able to set up the ball in the front positions they wanted to in that third quarter, which contributed to their not being able to take control of the game. Um. Yeah, it was certainly a quarter in which you could see that Geelong probably felt like they should have been for, got ahead. They should have been in, um, further ahead of us than they managed to be after the effort they put in. Um, but, you know, that was, I guess that was really important for us you know, in terms of the actual win, just to be able to control Geelong as they had been controlling us in that first quarter um, because Geelong isn't used to that so much. Uh, and that was probably a large part of what led to them being rattled later in the game. Yeah. 
Yeah, look, I thought, you know, we did a really good job in the second quarter to keep it as a 50-50 contest. I thought Geelong, as I said in the first quarter, they were just so much cleaner with the ball um, from what I could tell at the ground anyway. Like, they were just one-touch grabbing everything, real quick handballs, getting it out and getting it forward. Whereas for us, it was a little bit... There was a lot more effort involved in, in getting the ball forward. Um, mm-hmm. And especially sort of in the midfield in the midfield battle, I thought Geelong were well on top. Um, and, yeah, I guess we'd, we've got to be thankful that they were missing shots and all that sort of stuff because on the balance of play, I felt like we should have been two or three goals down. Um, but we managed to, to negate it. We, we went in at half-time uh, with a with a one-point lead, and you thought, yep, we are right absolutely into this. And um, I guess the key moment in the second quarter for me um, has to be that tackle, the Dangerfield tackle from DBJ, um, finished off by mm. Robbie Gray, who just came in and bowled him over at the end. And um, yes. that, that which came about, I don't know, two or three minutes after the, the two big tackles that I spoke about before where we had free kicks paid against us, which just sent the bloody crowd bananas and uh, I don't know there's no <laughs> I've been at games a few times now where um, Port have absolutely pummeled Dangerfield and the crowd loves it more than anything else it's great <laughs> but yeah look absolutely um, I think that um, again talk about the contrasting styles between the clubs though uh, I think that um, as you said Geelong they were hitting targets but we talked about it in preview that what they were doing is they hit targets but they like to hit safe targets. They like to get that secure possession. And where we were hurting them was by not letting them get that in a position was that, that was as damaging as they want and, the, yeah. and as damaging as that was useful for. Um, it was very much a game of us controlling territory rather than rather than even manning up or anything. I understand that. That's certainly obviously part of how we're playing this year. Um, it is why we think things like we can get away with not having monster backmen um, because we're controlling territory rather than just trying to beat players. Um, and certainly in the second quarter, I guess you could say that 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 was justified, that, that opinion, that it's all about controlling the territory rather than just worrying about matchups. Um, yeah, there you go. So there's a win for the uh, defensive coach. Uh, who's that, Sprint Montgomery, is it? There you go. Yep. Yeah. Look, I thought uh, it, um, what was also good was, was um, as, as you mentioned, uh, they weren't getting the ball in positions that they really wanted. And um, if I was to head back to the first quarter in the first five minutes again, when Stanley took those two marks, or I think he might have got a free kick and a mark, you know, 20 metres out, dead in front. I thought, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. So we mentioned Stanley in the preview and that uh, he tends to really like to play against Port Adelaide. And I thought, you know, if he's if he's sneaking forward and getting early marks and early shots on goal like that, we might be in a bit of trouble. But thankfully, they pretty much didn't have any other shots straight in front at all. No. No, and that was because we trying to control that territory. Yeah. yeah, and well, because the thing about controlling the territory, particularly against Geelong, who had that kick and mark game, is that if you don't let them take the mark in front of goal, then they're going to find it hard to get it there otherwise. And we saw that really just completely borne out by that second quarter and obviously the third and fourth as well. Yeah. What were you going to say, Rick? I was just going to say, did he really tackle or was it more a block? Because he sort of tried to tackle, but he didn't really get his arms around him. He just sort of pushed him off, right? Well, he did enough so that Robbie Gray could come in with the end tackle, which knocked the ball free, and we won the free kick because of that. Mm-hmm. So, so it was a team. It was a team tackle. It was absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Robbie Gray. Robbie Gray doesn't get enough credit for that because he's the one that bowled him no, over. I think it should get more. And then uh, I really, kudos to I really Travis Bokey came in and got in his face while he was on the ground as well, which was nice. Yeah, 
I really disliked his um, Dangerfield sack tackle on DBJ when the ball he ran past the ball and just pile drive him to the ground, not in play, yeah. which was totally <laughs> acceptable. Um, that sort of uh, gave him the urine. So it was great to uh, see the favour return not long afterwards. Yeah, <coughs> absolutely. So heading on to the third quarter, which was uh, absolutely electric. The, the feeling at the crowd, in the crowd, I think, at, during those uh, that 25-minute period was just something else. Uh, Porsche, how did you see us in that third quarter? Well, that's like we were talking about. Um, Geelong were basically uh, weren't playing finals football, uh, like we talked about in the preview. They weren't playing finals football. It was not conducive to contested ball. And when they started losing their system, that was when we really started getting an edge. And that was really the the, the, um, the crucial point that we were waiting for and uh, planning for all game was for the point at which Geelong realised their system wasn't working. Um, and we certainly could have ex- hopefully would have been nice to have exploited it more than we did. But we did get a bit of mileage out of it. And certainly, um, because of the way they play, the fact that we managed to get a lead um, against them, they're always going to find that hard to claw that back. Um, yeah. So, that uh, yeah, this, this is the quarter. They call it the premiership quarter. It's exactly what it was. And it was for exactly this sort of game that this sort of stands out as being the premiership quarter because it's when you both have had a go at doing what you do and it's when you start to see who's going to win. We are. I think we've been the third quarter specialists, especially in the second half of the uh, the season this year. We really wrestled momentum from Richmond in the um, in the third quarter. Again, with Geelong and the big games, um, we've definitely ramped it up after half time. And as we know, the old cliche is the uh, premiership winning quarter, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it seems to be the opposite of what's happened with Port Adelaide in recent years. I feel like we've often come out after half time very sluggish and lethargic and um, you know we've had quick goals kicked against us on numerous occasions but uh, this year it's been the exact opposite so I don't know what the change is in the rooms at half time but whatever it's been it's absolutely worked this year but uh, yeah that third quarter was just great that was one of our best quarters of the season and you could just tell like we came straight out of the box just turned turned the volume up to 11 and said, uh, let's see if you can handle this Geelong, and they couldn't. You know, we started winning the clearances. We started winning the contested ball, which we couldn't in the first half, and we were getting shots on goal. Rosie kicked a goal, and then Motlop kicked that third goal, and bloody hell, I was hugging people I haven't even met. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What a a snap. And, uh, you know, Brad Ebert kicked another. Um, Yeah, just a great quarter of footy. Great quarter of footy. It was a great quarter of footy, isn't that? But isn't that the best part about football when you when you're that much into the momentum that you know you're high fiving strangers and and having a laugh? I mean, that's um, that's the pure joy in having fun um, at football, and that's and, and that's why that's why you go right to, yeah. for those moments. And we've just got to um, we just need to appreciate it for when we have those moments because obviously they don't. They don't come every year. So, yeah, I mean, I was high-fiving strangers around me and having a laugh, and, yeah, it's a, it's a great time. Yeah. We're, very, we're very blessed to be in this position this year. Indeed. And we know I'm we want to play first-half football. Go, Porsche. I was, I was just going to say, I've never high-fived someone else at the footy in my life, so go for it, guys. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> well, you know, I went to the foot. Just off-topic, Macro, I, I went to the footy... Um, 
And I, I guess I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of an observer of football these days. I, I don't really get into it. Um, you know, not like yourself at the 14 prelim when you're in tears and grown man crying with another grown man. Mm. Um, you know, I just sort of sit back and, and sort of watch from afar. But I really, um, I tried to follow your example and, and live in the moment and, and just watch the game. And, uh, and um, yeah, it was quite enjoyable to, to look at footy that way again, cheering and uh, instead of just being an observer. So yeah. who knows? Hopefully we're, we're celebrating with joy and not crying. Um, in two weeks' time. Indeed. The Dangerfield goal at the end was incredibly frustrating, especially after Hammer had taken all those marks. Like the, the wall yes. of Hamish Harlow was just uh, incredible. And we know we like to play front-half football, and that was something that we did exceptionally well in that third quarter. We just kept it in that forward line the whole time. Huge tackles. Um, didn't give them any sort of space at all to, to move the ball out of our forward half. Uh, so it was it was really frustrating for that end goal, especially considering it was you know fifteen seconds by the end of the siren, and you know we do that a lot. We we give we must give up more goals in the last thirty seconds of a quarter than any other team, surely. I think that's the the frustrating part for me for um, Trent McKenzie in the second half of the season. I mean, he's been fantastic and done a lot of good things, but. The, the negatives, the, the sitters, the easy mistakes that he's made, which not many Port Adelaide players have done in the second half of the season, probably a glaring. You know, his his diagonal short chip kicks that have been intercepted resulting in goals and then that sitter of a mark that he really shouldn't have dropped, uh, I think spoils a bit of the hard work that he's done this season. But maybe I'm just being a very technical and picky on him. Maybe. Maybe. And the last quarter... <laughs> The last quarter where, uh, you know, Stanley got the first kick, well, sorry, the first goal of the, the last quarter, and you thought, oh, God, here we go. It's back down to, uh, back down to seven points. They're right back in this. And um, pretty much immediately we had that moment, which was uh, Zach Butters somehow bundling two Geelong players over, the ball falling in his, up, in his lap, delivering a magic hand pass on the ground, to Mollop, who one hand taps it to Laddams, who evades a tackle and then kicks a goal. Like I don't know any sort of uh, any sort of negativity that I had in the first sort of few minutes of that quarter, and with the Stanley goal just gone. Like, at that moment, I knew we were home. We were done. Go on, Porsche, celebrate him. Talk about that moment. I already did. Your favorite. Talk about it again. It is a great moment. Look, I mean, just the fact that he uh, managed to. to... You'd love to think he planned it. I just don't believe he did. I just think he's got instinct. And just seeing that, you know, he's running into a guy that he could see was already off balance and there just happened to be another guy there and it just happened to collect him. And the ball just happened to fall right at his feet or just underneath him so he could pick it up and just happened to be able to hand pass to Motlock, who happened to be able to tap it on to let him through a goal. Like, there's a lot of just happens, right? It's absolutely wild that it managed to work but if it wasn't if it was the first time we'd seen Zach do it we'd say gee that was lucky but my god it's getting beyond luck these days isn't it it's wild the things he can think he can see happening and and unfolding in front of him well people were whinging about why he was in the All-Australian squad well that is the reason why he was in the All-Australian squad because (laughs) he's just Clutch. He's just the most clutch player we've had in a very, very long time since uh, since a young Chad Wingard, probably. And 
you know, there's been seven or eight other, you know, similar magical moments like that this year. But uh, that one topped it off for all, I think. But, um, I mean, also, the other thing that we've been asked this year is um, why did Zach uh, go outside of the top ten in his draft year? And the fact is, like, even in this final, where he had that amazing moment, the first half, where was he? Um, you know, he was he was pretty absent during that period. Um, mm. So, look, he is clutch, and it's really good that he's still a second-year player. He's still obviously a second-year player, and we need more from him, which sounds wild to say, but we do need more than just those moments. Well, we can thank our lucky stars that he did his shoulder in the championships and didn't play at all in the second half of that season. Because um, I'm mm-hmm. sure if he mm-hmm. had have played the second half of that season and played the rest of the championships, he would have, um, you know, he would have gone a couple of spots higher, and we would have missed him. But uh, and then we'd be uh, wondering why Chase Jones can't get a kick instead, probably. But um, oh my god, that'd be terrible. <laughs> thankfully, the stars aligned in the way that they did. <laughs> And look, credit credit also to Todd Marshall. It has to be said, who um, kicked that wonderful goal from fifty to uh, to ice the game at the end, and you know to come back on the ground. We talk about courage, you know, to come back on the ground after he's popped a shoulder. And uh, look, mm. you know, the stats will show that he only had three touches, only had the one mark, and whatever. But um, you know, his competitiveness was awesome. I thought, considering. And uh, even though Henderson got a fair bit of the ball, but, uh, you know, he kept competing, kept competing and was able to, to get the ball to ground or, you know, to end up winning sort of 50-50 contests a few times. And, you know, I thought it was just a great moment to uh, for him to ice the game in that situation with that sort of kick too. Yeah, look, I mean, you say he was competing and look, I mean, he was competing. He was present. But... Um... I don't know, like, I still would like uh, Michael Wilson to give him some tips on how to play a game without using his shoulders because I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. We were really, As a team, we were really stuck. And the fact that we kept playing him, we're good, all credit to him, but uh, like you said, he still only got three touches and he did have a reasonable amount of game time with it as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say, you know, he should do more with a stuck shoulder, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, look, I don't know what to take away from it. It's, it's a tough one to take away from it. It was nice that he got that goal, but it would have been really nice if we could have just had him on the bench and have someone else play the position he was playing and the minutes he was playing. Yeah. 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 You, don't think he, you don't think he's doing enough? Oh, look, I mean, I can't, look, can't criticize him for not being played injured on the field uh, in a final. Like, you know, what do you say? Um, but uh, I do, I'm not going to say he didn't do enough. But I'm going to say that uh, for the amount of time he was on the ground, I feel like he still didn't have a great game. But that there's an you know, obvious contributing factor, which is his shoulder was fucked. So yeah. uh, what are you going to say? Um, but uh, I, I'd say rather than it being a, like a, a victorious, oh, I can play through anything moment, it's sort of a, oh, we got away with one there moment. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, look, let's talk about some individual players. And I want to start with Stevie Motlop. And um, as you said, you've been hoping that he has this sort of game for a while. And uh, what a time to bring it out in the final against his old club, where he played a very similar game against us in the uh, 13 semifinal. And, uh, you know, these sort of games can go either way. We saw him play against Geelong earlier this year, and he barely got a touch. And um, this <laughs> this week, he gets the, the first goal for the team. And Ends up with three, a couple of real magic moments. Just uh, a great individual match by Stephen Motlop. 
And we ne- we never doubted his spot in the side all year. We were his biggest defenders, weren't we, Macca? Mate, that's the reason why this is called the Keep Stephen Mollop in the Team podcast, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I can say is that since I've been doing the podcast again this year, I haven't really been bagging Stephen Motlop. So I just thought I'd put that, throw that out there. Fair but enough. we know we know he's we know he's one of those players though, right? He's you know he's got that reputation for for doing the miraculous at different times, and he he can go in and out with his form. But I mean, what better way to find form but nailing Geelong? I mean, I think it's just so so fitting, and I thoroughly enjoyed his time in the sun. Um, yeah, I mean, it was great, and I, I can imagine all the Geelong supporters would have been burning. Oh, I imagine they would have hated that. They would have absolutely hated it. And as I said, the last time he, well, when he played that final against us, he had 25 touches and two goals. So he uh, tore the hearts out of Port Adelaide that night. And uh, <laughs> no doubt he would have torn the hearts out of Geelong fans uh, on Thursday night, which is uh, well-deserved. Absolutely. 100% agree. Let's hope he does it again. And uh, with him, another one that, you know, there's been a, a fair bit of... Uh, uh, criticism about Brad Ebert, who's just had a monster year, all things considered. Mm. And uh, he had another great game. He was absolutely brilliant on uh, on Thursday night. Um, 16 touches, two goals, was in everything. Um, laid some really nice tackles, some good smothers, that sort of thing as well. How did you see his uh, performance, Borsha? Oh, look, um, I think that uh, Brad Ebert, and we're going to go through a few of these players, I assume. There's a few players like Brad Ebert, like Stephen Whitelock, like uh, probably, I guess, Connor Rosie even, um, that sort of had games that you say, yeah, they were there. They they did some really important things at important times, but maybe they didn't have a four-quarter consistency. Maybe Brad didn't have a four-quarter consistency. He was pretty good, though, and he certainly took advantage. Um, but for me, like that really shows how, how much Geelong was struggling to contain Port Adelaide with their very defensive game plan. We talked about it in the preview how very how much they restrict their opposition, and they just weren't able to stop all the players from bobbing up. You know, what is it about not being able to pull someone all the time? It's sort of like that with the Geelong and uh, trying to shut down Port Adelaide. Basically, they were not able to control all our players all the time. And uh, yeah. Brad Ebert was certainly one. Probably in their estimations before the game, he probably wouldn't have been a top ten player for them, or even maybe. And marginally top 20 that they actually were particularly concerned about. But he just kept bobbing up in important moments, like a few players did. Uh, and, yeah, we got the result because of that. So, uh, good on him. He did, be, he did what he needed to do and, uh, yeah, got on the scoreboard, which is really nice. Is Would he playing like of... a man that could be... I was going to say, is he playing like a man that's playing his last season? Because he's definitely lifted his game higher than what we were thinking he was going to deliver this year, Maka. No doubt. And... Uh... Look, there's every chance he does retire at the, end, at the end of this season. I think if we win a premiership, that's exactly what he'll do. And I know maybe he'll want to go go around again next year if we don't. But um, look, all kudos to Brad. You know, he's uh, he's had a really good year this year, and you know, pretty much, you know, I would say 95 percent of people on Big Footy thought that he would, you know, take no part in our major team sort of this year. And you know, from round one, he's just delivered week in week out, pretty much. So. Um, well played. Well played, Brad. He's been great. Uh, next player is uh, Mackenzie, who got given the job on Tom Hawkins. And we know that Tom um, uh, destroyed Cleary last time 
and uh, it was always going to be interesting to see who we put on him. There was a lot, a lot of thoughts about Jonas, whether Cleary would go back on him. And well, I guess it was a bit bit, uh, bit of a surprise to see Trent McKenzie go to him, I thought. Um, what were your thoughts overall on how he played? Drop that mark. Uh, well, apart from the mark, how did you see the rest of his game? No, is, he, is he lucky no, that... No, he Go on. Yeah. I was going to say, he dropped that mark that led to fucking Dangerfield's fanboy orgasm on TV, which is just completely repulsive. But um, um, I don't know. He still had... He still allowed Hawkins to have, what, seven shots on on goal, even if they were in difficult positions. So, um, I don't know. He was okay. Porsche? Um, I think that he did exactly what the coaches wanted him to do as part of the defensive system. Um, yeah, like I said, the, the second quarter was really a, a, a win for the defence. Uh, Port Adelaide was an important part of that uh, in terms of just controlling that territory making sure that, uh, you know, that when Hawkins did get possession, it was so frequently in the boundary and doing enough just to keep him accountable. Uh, I'd have to say that uh, if you're going to say who's got the better pace to force that uh, sort of uh, wide lead, it probably would be McKenzie over Query. Um, mm. Certainly with Query coming back. Uh, yeah. Yeah, look, in some aspects, I think he's really lucky that Hawkins had the night that he did and kicked five points, one out on the full. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, could have easily yeah. gone the other way. Um, but as you said, the thing that I really liked about his game is that he made sure he kept goal side of Hawkins at all times, which made sure that he had no other option but to lead to the boundaries. And uh, that's what he did. So full credit to him there. Um, look, he won a couple of really good one-on-one, uh, one-on-one contests against him throughout the night. But I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I thought he had a much better second half than first half, but by that point, Hawkins was cooked mentally anyway. Honestly, I think that if Trent had had a couple of goals kicked on him, I think it'd still be pretty rough for that because he shouldn't be matching up on Hawkins, in my view. Um, so the fact he did as well as he did, and even if he got a bit lucky, look good on him, he did his job. It was a difficult job. Uh, it would have been easy to, to get it wrong, and he didn't, so well done. Yeah. Absolutely. Burton, I thought, uh, had a really good game on Ablett. Just kept him completely out of it. Mm-hmm. Ablett only had the 10 touches. Had zero impact at all on the game. And uh, we know that Ablett's yeah. about 46 years old. And uh, this is his last year. <laughs> but, um, you know, he will still probably get eight or nine Brownlow votes this year and has had some really cracker games still. Um, so for Burton to come in after his injury and to, uh, to last the whole game, that was great. And to have the sort of game that he did was, uh, was excellent. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't have anything else to say beyond yes. that. Yes, 100% agree. That's everything I needed to say. Yes, agree. Well, the most the most important part is that he didn't get injured, right? So. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, apparently. we know. Well, we know what he's going to deliver, and that's a high standard of football. He, he's actually got very fast closing speed um, when he's fit, and mm. he is uh, agile above above the head and below the knees, and. He uses the ball well, so he's definitely a you know, a much-needed first 22 player. So hopefully yep. he doesn't ping a quad or a hamstring or break a fingernail for the final two games of the year, and he'll be very influential for us. That would there's, be two factors that make, there's two factors that make Ryan Burton a fantastic player for quite a late. One is his eighth game, and the second one is that he keeps Bonner out of the side, so he's just a double win. 
Macca doesn't like that comment once whatsoever. <laughs> I'm staying quiet on that one. No, look, Burns, uh, Burton is potentially, you know, as good a player in our side as we've got, really. Like, he's an absolute star. It's just the fact that he always gets injured. But, um, look, hopefully he's got two games to go. Just stay fit for two games, please, Ryan, because you're so important. Yes. Um, Hamish Hardlett, is that, may not be the best game he's played, but is that the most important game he's played? Uh, I would say it's definitely the most important, and it possibly is the best, because uh, in a game that was full of pressure, um, I can see he, he did have a few clangers, but I think the mistakes he made were just mistakes that you make in the course of playing football at a high standard against in a final against a tough opposition. But he, he didn't make stupid mistakes, which I would often criticise Hamish Harlan for. I think this is a really excellent game for Hamish. He did really well, and he should be proud of himself. Yeah. Well, he had almost an error. He had an error-free game, didn't he? Pretty much. Five clangers. Yeah, yeah. I think but that. Yeah, I think... yeah, really. I can't remember him making like an error like Maka. He had that mid-season form slump, you know, where we were saying he's a bit off and and that. But yeah, now he, he's charging now, and um, yeah, I, I think everything he did was a winner. So um, keep it going, Hamish. It was, yeah. it was really thoughtful and uh, cool and collected football, which is something that you really need. Like, you really need it for your senior players in the final. And for Hamish to actually step up and be providing that is just really fantastic to see. For him and Port Adelaide, um, I'm not the biggest Hamish Hartler fan at all. That's pretty much known about me. But uh, this was an excellent game by Hamish. Hmm. There you go. It was. Tom Jonas was another one who uh, played a cracker game and uh, kept uh, the wife cheater to a minimal impact. Just the five touches, no scoring shots at all. And, um, look, he might have been off his game, Gary Rowan, because he was uh, too busy thinking about what he's going to do with his home life after the season's over. But at the end of the day, he's, uh, he's had a pretty good season. He's kicked 19 goals for the year, uh, destroyed us earlier this year, and, you know, he barely had a kick. I, I, I don't even remember him having a, a touch at all on the night. Who? Yeah, no, look. Who? Exactly right. a good game, Jones played a good game. Um, it is weird that he never seems to get the main opposition forward, but I guess that's just, again, it's just part of how we line up. Um, and look, he did his job. He did well. Yeah. Indeed, the midfield, uh, I want to talk about the three, or I guess the four main ones, uh, Rockliffe, Power Pepper, Boak and Wines. I thought uh, they were all brilliant equally on the night. And uh, Power Pepper with the great start to the game. Uh, Rocky was a bit of a grower. He was a little bit, a uh, little bit quiet to start with, but went bang in the second half. And uh, both just uh, produced magic all night. I thought they're very consistent now, aren't they? They um, first half of the year, especially Rockcliffe, took his time to uh, to find his role. Obviously, being dropped was a, a godsend for him to work out a couple of nuances that he needed to fix. But um, you know, since then. They're all fit and firing and contributing, and I guess Bokey's out, output's still been very high, but it's sort of diminished a little bit because Ollie Wines and Rockcliffe and SPP have sort of lifted their game to take a bit more responsibility from him, So, which I think is a good thing because it's hard to negate four key midfielders rather than one. Yeah. Yeah, look, for me, um, 
of those ones you mentioned, like it's good they all played well, but for me it's just been really heartening seeing Sam Pell Pepper this season just really turn around. Um, you know, obviously there was talk last year, oh, he's going to get traded and all this sort of thing. And look, he's still playing good football, but the fact that he's playing mature football now, that's just really is a fantastic uh, turnaround in how he plays. And hopefully we can see him just, you know, have a slow progression and become slowly more important to the team going forward. But uh, no, he played a good game, there's no doubt, and as so did. Yeah, I would have been devastated if we traded this PP last year. Oh yeah, for sure, that would have been terrible. Yes, I mean all of all of us amateur football followers could see the upside in Sam if his head's in the game, and yep. uh, and I, I was just aghast to think that Essendon were going to get in for a bag of chips. I, it was just like sent shivers down my spine. So and it was so I'm close glad. to happening. Too. I'm with it. It was, was so it really? close. To, it was so close to happening until Dodoro changed his mind at the last minute and asked for someone else thanks instead. That's what, uh, oh, thanks, that's what led to it uh, why, falling over. Why would our coaches have wanted to do that? Like, seriously. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, when you see Sam Pepper, in particular when you see him now, as I said, playing this more mature football, like you can tell that his best is so far from coming, but it's going to be like in three, four years' time, he's going to be All-Australian. Uh, and he's going to be all Australian by being a really fantastic contested footballer who can go on a run and jack a goal. It's going to be really fun to see. Yeah. Well, he'll be able to send a postcard to Nate, Nate Fife then when he does that. Yeah. yeah I don't know what you're referring to, Derek. Okay. Nah, sorry. Oh, well, in, in Sam's first season, he was playing on Fife, and uh, Fife said to him, uh, you yeah, know, have your have your time in the sun because you know in two seasons you'll be off the AFL list, and that oh, was his okay. sledge. That was his sledge to uh, to Sam. So uh, I'm sure uh, if he was in the old Australian <laughs> side next to him, I'm sure uh, I'm sure he'd like to remind him of that. Yeah. Well, if I've seen it. <laughs> well, look, that's basically all I've got to talk about um, with the players. I mean, the, the good thing was that every really? single player had a moment. I thought like. We could talk about Amon and his kicking. We could talk about Houston and his, you know, just pinpoint passing all night, which was uh, which was great. Burton did the same thing. You know, they they took risks with their kicks and they all came off. Um, you know, how did you see Laddams and Lysa and the the ruck patch up? That's the one for me. I want to know your opinion on Laddams, guys. I would like Adams to be a bit more physical in the one-on-one contest. Uh, I think he still gets bumped off a, a little bit easy, um, but I love I love where he's going as a player and what he does. Um, but yeah, I, I just think there could be an increased element of hardness about him. I thought Adams' front half ruck work was exceptional. I thought it was really really good. Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, he's definitely not a complete player, but I mean, he's still learning. He's still learning. How many games has he played? Still less than 15. Um, oh, like 15. 15, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, literally, so, he's look, on he's 14 doing, games. He, there you go. He's doing real well. He's doing real well, I think. Um, and you, absolutely, look, the biggest knock on him is that his ruck work, he's not dominating ruck, and he, he has not been dominating ruck really pretty much at all. Um, but his ruck work is improving. His positioning is great. He had something that opposition ruckmen find hard to meet, which is that he is willing to back himself in and have a little bit of agility. Not excessive agility, but certainly high agility for a ruckman. You know, that willingness to go on to the left, but he is going to goal for his goal. Um, That's not something every ruckman 
is super keen on doing and certainly not just instinctively saying, oh, well, I'll have a crack at this. Um, look, it's interesting. I think that Peter Lawrence might be a player that uh, you always think has got a huge amount of potential and he might never achieve it, but hopefully he does because if he does, oh, my gosh, it could be very exciting. Yeah. I love Lysa, though. But I remember Mac yeah. maybe a year and a half ago, I was sort of saying he's, he's a bit... Bit Matthew Lobie-esque for me, but you can see that he's he's just got that leader X factor about him. He, you know, I think Lobie was just a really nice guy that that caused him for a big guy to sort of struggle to intimidate. Whereas um, Scott sort of oozes leadership and and intimidation for those smaller opposition players, and and is happy to bump them and hit them, and you know, and use his big frame and get around and. Yeah, I, I just think with Scott in the side, our, our midfield just seems to walk taller. And, um, yeah, I, I think he's just a very, very strong, solid ruckman. He's not a knickknack. He's not sensational. But he, he does – he brings something to the team in relation to leadership and courage that seems to lift everybody. I would, I would just, I want to argue on that because I don't think he's ever been Matthew Lobby. Yes, because Matthew Lobby's problems were not what you just sort of indicated. I'd never thought it was a problem with aggression, although I'm not going to say he had a lot. But I think his main problems were that he just didn't produce enough and he wasn't threatening around the ground at all. Um, whereas Lysett has been since day one with us, at least he's always been at least a bit threatening around the ground. Um, well, he's been a bit clunky and cumbersome. That's, I guess that's why I use the uh, a Lobby reference. But, yeah, but I mean, there's still. I mean, Laddams. He's a little bit of a dinosaur. Uh, he is. Like, Laddams isn't clunky and cumbersome. La- yes, Laddams, he like, is. Yes. No, he's not. He's actually quite explosive and athletic. And, you know, he's like. He's uh, for a Ruckman. For a Ruckman, yeah. he's explosive and athletic. Absolutely. <laughs> Laddams is. But, like, even, you know, you see him and he's still, like, everything is just a little bit more difficult. He's visibly a little bit more difficult than pretty much everyone else on the field. And he's good for a Ruckman. So, to, look, I think you might be just on the wrong end, wrong scale in terms of uh, working out, you know, Lysett's ability to be athletic. Because I think he's certainly he wouldn't be in a set, he wouldn't be bottom uh, or bottom half, bottom fifty percent of Rockman in the league for that. Sure, he'd definitely be top yeah. half. He went he went through a period where I thought he was really clunky with his marks. But you know, this is Scott Lysett, right? Well, he doesn't take a lot of the, marks. No, he doesn't. No. And same as Loby. But I think this this is Scott Lysett, like. You know, an influential Scott Lysett, you'd sort of, you maybe compare to a uh, sort of a Matthew Primus type sort of style of player and a an out of form, um, clunky Lysett, you sort of, you might compare to a, a Matthew Loby type sort of Ruckman. But uh, either way, I'm glad we've got him. I think he's doing a great job and uh, it'll be interesting in another year, 12 months time to see how we can accommodate Laddams, Lysett and hopefully Sam Hayes. Yeah. Look, I think Lysett last year played some really, really good games, but he also played some really, really bad games to go with it. Uh, this year, I can't remember him really playing a bad game off the top of my head. You know, he's just been super consistent all year. His ruck work's been great. His ability to get around yeah. the ground's been really, really good. Um, you know, he's a bit of an old school sort of ruckman. He isn't super athletic, I don't think, but um, what I see him as is just your typical Port Adelaide ruckman. And, you know, we've had great Ruckman all throughout, well, since I've been alive. And um, we went through a small period where we didn't have one. Um, but I feel like he sits in that sort of pantheon of uh, 
of our great ruckman at the moment. Is he our most important player for the remainder of the finals? No. no. I reckon. Ah, oh, no way. Maybe Charlie, Who but is that, then? that would be it. Oh, I mean, Charlie, definitely. Uh, well, let's see who else. Be a contender. I reckon uh, Burn Jones. I reckon probably uh, either Robbie Gray or Travis Blake. If we lost one of them, I think it would be hugely damaging. Obviously, if we like Stack Butters, it would be damaging. Uh, those are probably the main ones. But they're uh, all... If we lost... um... They're replaceable. Right. Zach Butters was out for two games and we, we won. Brad Ebert was out for a period of time and we still won. Who did we Robbie beat, Gray... Zach out. Hey? Who did we beat Zach Butters out? Well, the last two games of the year, we beat Collingwood, for one. Yeah. yeah who, just knocked off, who just knocked off West Coast? Um, mm. I, can't, I can't remember who Brad Ebert missed for games, but that was more in that mid part of the season. Was it Richmond that Brad Ebert maybe missed? Um, but anyway, I digress. So I, I guess I think a lot of those players you listed, even though it's not ideal and they would be missed, you, they're probably replaceable. You know, we lost Boak, who's been a prime driver. I guess you'd play Robbie in the midfield for his time, and uh, you would you'd plug a plug a hole in the in the forward line. If um, you know, if DBJ went back went out, you'd just bring back Bert Bonner, wouldn't you, Macca? And um, it would be all no, the same. It's not- that's not a straight sock at all. Nowhere near. Oh, well, that's what that's what uh, Macca would argue. He loves Bonner. They're basically the same player. It would be a straight swap. Absolutely, it would. <laughs> who, who else is going to come in on a back flame? Who else is Who else is there to come on on a back flame? We're not going to pick Garner. He hasn't played all year. We're not going to pick Farrell. Well, he's not going to be anywhere near good enough. Um, so Bonner's the only one to come in. If if one of those halfbacks get injured, then Bonner's the absolute next one in. Oh, God. Well, it certainly wouldn't be a like-for-like. Um, and I guess, look, there's an outside chance, and I hate to say it, but, my God, we might have found the one circumstance in which I prefer Sutcliffe to Bonner. There you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Very harsh. So if, if a star player, hope it doesn't happen, touch wood, if a star player went down and we didn't uh-huh. go for a tried and true player, who would be our mystery random player that would be selected to play in the grand final? Like, would it be a, like a Joel Garner or a Bergman or, uh-huh. you know, who, who do you think would be that flying superstar that would just come out from the woodwork and do the, do the picket of 2020? Time for Jackson oh, Mead, mate. I I was Jackson thinking Jackson. Reed. That would be pretty interesting, but I don't know what his form has been like. It's got to be someone that's been a credible selection threat, really, doesn't it? Yeah, um, so Dylan it Williams. Be, Bergman would be the one, I think, of the of the debutants. Yeah, we, we, we don't, we're not talking. We're not talking a West Off type that's been around it. Yeah, it's someone that's been in the shadows. So not a Sutcliffe or a Maze or a West Off. <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be that real, real X factor. I guess for me, if DVJ went down, I, I guess I'd be looking at a, a Garner to potentially replace him. Oh, that, I mean, that if would we be played Garner, closer like to like than Bonner. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Trent Bergwijn. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. 
That would be something for sure. Is he on our list? Yes. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on and talk about some questions because we've got quite a few from Big Footy, and this has gone on for an hour. So, uh, Jake Need fan has asked uh, if Marshall isn't fit, who do we bring in? George Addis. I'd go west off. Okay. I would. You'd go west off. You'd go west off. I, I would I'd... actually go west off. I'm Fuck glad I'm sitting down right now. Very happy I'm sitting down because uh, that's floored me. It's, it's just crazy, I know. Oh, look, I would, yeah, I would like Georgiades, yeah. but the risk is there that he has no touches. Uh, look, if if Marshall well, was a fit, they're definitely bringing in West. Hundred percent. Todd only just had three, so you know <laughs> we just won a final with Todd Marshall having three touches, wasn't it? I think we can afford to have Georgiades have a quiet game. True. I think I think Westhoff with the extra bit of height might uh, get him over the line nah. over Georgie, but uh, nah. I'd nah. probably prefer Georgie. Hundred percent, Georgie. Uh, Jake Need fan has also asked thoughts on Jones and Schofield. Where do you see them sitting in the draft? What do you like about them, and what do you think they need to get better at? Uh, look again. I haven't seen footage, so I can't really comment. Um, but from what I'm reading, Jones, they're saying it's likely to be a first round pick. I know that we released our combine results to South Australia to make it all seem like we're champions, and then what WA did theirs, and then we all look like chumps. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where they go. Uh, Jones may be first round, but uh, look, who knows where Charge is going to go, and who knows who the Crows are going to spite try to pick to so that they'll bid on him for us. Mm. Uh, don't know. Don't know. Look, uh, I would hope that Jones... Well, I would think Jones is definitely going the first round now. I hope he falls out of the top 10 and goes somewhere mm. around the sort of 15 mark. That'd be nice. Um, Taj has probably fallen down the rankings, as, as we've said in, in the past few weeks. Uh, if we can get him for a sort of a third round, that would be really, really nice. Um, what do I like about them? Jones is just your typical hard-nosed halfback flanker shut down. Um, he's kind of a shorter version of Tom Jonas, I guess. He's ready to go. He'll play round one next year. Um, you know, he's just a rock-solid human, and uh, and there's a lot to like about him. Um, Taj, his skills are great. He's kind of like his old man in that he's got a great kick, likes to run and carry with the ball. Um, he's really good in close. He's very, very similar to Jackson Mead. Very, very similar. Um, but he's just a little bit shorter. What does he need to get better at? Getting more of the ball, I think, um, and becoming more of a, a scoreboard threat. If he can do that, he'll be a, a bit of a player, I think, as well. And I think the other thing to keep in mind with this draft is that the amount of, uh, of impact that exposed form is going to have on um, where people go in the draft. So there's a lot of Victorian kids out there that uh, all of the claims like... Uh, all the Victorian teams are thinking, you know, they're licking their lips at the fact that these guys haven't played football this year. They reckon they're going to get some real bargains and they're going to talk up every South Australian for sure and every Western Australian as they need to go early in the draft so that they can all get some nice cheap bargains on guys that we've hardly seen at all. Yep. Uh, Us Against the Rest has asked, if our midfield have an off day, can our defence handle the onslaught? No. No. No, probably not. That's that's not how we play. So that's easy. It's not. And look, in finals, I think that's not how anyone plays. Like, you need the midfield to stand up. It's very rare for a midfield to uh, not turn up and you still win the game in finals, I think. That's very rare. Look, look at the uh, 2004 preliminary final when 
our midfield didn't show up barring one player and what yeah. damage a team and what damage a team can do quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, LJC has said, were we happy with our scoring avenues from the game and do you think we still need one of the tolls to do more? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We spoke about that. Hold, hold a mark. Like, we held a couple of marks and um, he needs to get over with my bet with Porsche. Well, the only reason I say it is is because he's just such a hard player and he's such a a slender player. I I just, I just think that he's going to get injured in time. I just think, I don't know how a body of his side with the way that he plays football can make it to 200 games. I think he's a 200 game quality player. I just, just don't, I can't see how his body could handle 200 games playing that way. Well, look, Rick, you can have fun justifying that for the next eight years or so, ten years. Yes. It's fine. Hey, it's, a, it's a good value bet for us, Porsche. <laughs> yeah, I think, for sure. I think you, you're, going to be, you're going to be the leader for, like, the first six seasons, no doubt. And then, yeah, uh, yeah. And, then and then time will catch up and we'll, uh, we'll see how, what happens. Mm. Sure. Well, I was reasonably happy with our split of goal kickers. We didn't get any from the midfield, which was disappointing, I guess, maybe, but... Um, and look, yes, definitely the tolls could do more. But uh, I was happy that Laddam scored and Marshall scored at crucial time. So that was nice as well. Uh, Andrea said uh, Pau Pepper got the maximum five votes from one coach and zero from the other for his game. Which coach do you think was which? Oh, it would have been Brad Scott, surely. Which one? The five? Zero. Oh, of the oh. five. Brad, Brad would have just uh, recognised SPP and Chris, Chris, given it Chris, Chris, whatever. Both the same. They look the same. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. I reckon it would have been Ken that gave the five. I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. It was Ken. Yeah. But I mean, they're pretty poor on um, Scott Man, Chris Scott. Not to even give him a point. It'd be interesting to see what the oh. coaches' votes were. It was quite a wide spread. I think one, yeah, one's got nine. Um, I think Boke was up there, and uh, and a few so others. If, so following through, if one's got nine, then one of them's given him five votes, which would be why that SPP only got five votes from one player. Rick, are yeah. we going to complain mm. that Chris Scott voted for a different fourth player with five votes? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Uh, Only Zach... because I think Scott Scott's a moron and overrated, and hopefully he gets okay. knocked out, knocked out in straight sets. Okay, Interstater has asked: Do we need to add more run or more height to combat Saints or Richmond? Nothing. As we are, Just keep it as it is. It's a good mix, I reckon. It's a good mix. Uh, Zach Lee has asked, uh, are we guaranteed to get Lockie Jones or can a spanner be thrown in the works? Can someone explain how this will work in the draft? E.g., can someone else bid on him and then we have to match it? Do we have enough points to match if he is a top 10 pick, as is being suggested? We've got a shitload of points right now, don't we? We do do have a lot of uh, points. We've got a lot of... uh, I think we've got two second round and three third rounders. Um, I we had three second round. Yeah. Something. Well, I think uh, I think the third second rounder goes down to the third round because we're in a deficit because of last year. Ah, okay. 
so, so it drops about eight or nine, eight or nine spots, I think, uh, from what the AFL released today. But look, as a general guide on how this works, is that uh, we are absolutely a hundred percent guaranteed Lockie Jones unless we don't want him. Essentially, like yes. someone can bid pick one, and it's, it's up to us if we want to pick him at that pick or not. Um, we have enough points to go. Every club has enough points to draft any player, any pick, because you can go into deficit. Um, it just comes off the following year's draft points. Um, so that's pretty much how it will work. Yeah, um, so do we have enough points? Yep, absolutely, if he's a top 10 pick. Um, as I said, it would be nice if he falls between that sort of 11 and 15 mark. I think that would be nice. Uh, but I did a bit of a, a thing before to match the picks. And if he is picked with pick 10, for example, I think we only have to use... Um, our two second round picks and then the next pick um, you know we get half the points back on that anyway so okay. yeah we're not going to be yeah all, we're not going to have to use all our draft picks to pick Lockie Jones it's not going to happen that way so yeah that's pretty much how okay. it works um, let me see here uh, FVK said nice prediction by Porsche on Motlop that was really good um, he's also said our mindset has changed we seem far less flaky and mentally weak than previous years why is that uh, I mean I'll just, I guess if you're going to pick one thing structure we've actually got it this year yeah I would say that's pretty fair you know we've we're playing a lot taller than we have ever almost under Ken I think um, yep, and I think the results are, are showing because of it mm. Structure, structure, structure is something that we've always liked under Ken. Certainly, the last five years, um, because we didn't have it. We were playing Calvin ball every year. We were creating goals just by having a run of handballs and freak kicks from the forward line. And you know, if Charlie did something great and then he went missing, or we'd put him in ruck and some dumb, do, do some dumb bullshit like that, um, we wouldn't give him tall support. Uh, as I said, Maka, this is the most tools we've played in the season. And so it does increase your predictability to opposition in some respects. And that's probably why Charlie Dixon has had games like this week where he's been pretty quiet. But it does also mean that your team has more idea of what they actually need to do rather than just doing something random and hoping it comes off. Yeah. I would also say so, that I think so... that um, you know, if we were to put the tolls aside for one issue, I think... You know, this is probably the last chance. This is absolutely the last chance that guys like Boke, Rockliffe, Gray, Hutch. Ebert, maybe Hartlett are going to get Hutch. to win a premiership. Um, yep. And I think yeah. they, they really fucking want it. <laughs> they really want it. And they're making sure they're going to do everything possible to get it. Is there... Um, has Ken got a limited time left as coach at Port Adelaide, do you think? Yes. Is this... Nine-year deal, mate. Sign him up. Like, how, much, how, much, how many more years do you think Ken has got at Port Adelaide? Like, I would say two. Even if he wins the premiership, you know, I just... I don't know. I just feel like we need to be looking to transition him at some stage soon. I'll yeah, say, even if we win the flag, I think he'll be gone by 2024, I would say. Maybe 2023. Yep. Yep. He's probably got three or four years left. Because <laughs> if he wins a flag, yep. he's going to get another contract. No doubt. Um, and yeah, I think 
his next contract will be his last one, I reckon. I can't see him becoming a 20-year coach or something like that. But not only that, like, if he wins the flag, like, we've always said, oh, you know, oh, Ken needs good assistance behind him. If he wins the flag this year, we know we're going to lose our assistance, right? And that's going to happen, maybe not necessarily all this season. It's definitely going to happen over the next two seasons if we win the premiership this year. Mm. Uh, and then we'll be back at scratch. Ken Hinckley is the... Uh, Dunce and a team of dunces while they get better or while we recruit new people in. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think Ken is a mastermind. Uh, I think he's doing what he needs to do, and I think that he's got a, some pretty, he's got some, you know, he's got some smart assistant coaches. We know that. Um, I don't mean Voss, I mean specifically Schofield and Montgomery, and obviously Bassett is intelligent. Um, but the will go, the will go if we win the premiership, and that'll leave Ken exposed again, and then we'll see the same old Ken. So. Interesting. Well, hopefully, He's got to win the premiership. Hopefully, they don't don't all go. My my intuition. So oh, to speak, I know. Well, where are they going to go? They're not going to go sideways. Like, is Jared Schofield no, going to go from midfield coach at Port to midfield coach at the Crows? I don't think so. Um, no, he'll so, go from senior coach to Fremantle, and um, I don't know if that's going to become Melbourne. senior coach yeah. at Melbourne. Yeah, or, or yeah. yeah, or Melbourne probably. By the time it happens, you know, we'll get rid of Goodwin. <laughs> um, you know, we'll see uh, uh, Montgomery become senior coach of some other Victorian team that is on the low. You know, uh, yeah, it's, it, well, that's, that's how it would happen. That's why I, I, you know, I'd really hope that the board is looking to take. You know, no different to like a like I said in that post how we transitioned Kale to Williams, and it was probably a bit too fast for Kale's liking. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the board saw the writing on the wall that, you know, they needed the new, younger, dynamic coach. Um, whether Williams actually was the right one or not is a different story. But, um, you know, it's it, I feel like we're in that similar loop now where, you know, Ken's had his opportunity and he's doing well this year. But at the same time, I, I just feel like we shouldn't be putting all our eggs in the Ken basket. And if we're seeing that there is a superior tactical coach under his wing, you know, hate to say it, maybe we start doing a transitionary uh, role, what's been shown at other clubs. I don't know if it necessarily works or not, but... It hasn't maybe, worked. Maybe, We're the only or... club. We're... <coughs> yep. Port Adelaide is the only club that's worked at, and that was because it was Choco, and he was a Williams, and we're dealing with mm. a cow. Like, at the end, it's, it's a very club-specific thing. Every other time it's been attempted, it's just ended up with a dud coach that's been there two years before he should have started coaching and then wasn't up to it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, I think the board the board has to have the kahunas to make that tough call. Because uh, I'd hate to see that we lose all our assistant coaches and then we're just riding the glory of a 2020 premiership if it were to happen uh, for three years. That would suck yeah. badly. Oh, you know that's on store, though. You, like, that's 100% in store for us. Like, if we win the premiership, yeah, that's definitely going to happen. So, yeah. But, so, but we'll have a premiership, so who gives a fuck, really? Yeah. But anyway, we have to hurry up because my daughter's crying and I need to put it a bit. Well, so there's one more question on. left, which I think is worth talking about, and that's uh, something that Porsche touched on earlier. But this is from one great club, and it's um, he said, the vast majority of media are saying that we only won because Geelong were poor that game, and a replay of that game would have us losing. Um, I had faith, but I'm starting to waver. What is your absolute, honest, unbiased opinion? Were we just lucky? I don't think we were just lucky. But I think that we were lucky. Does well, that answer it? you make you make your you own make luck. Make your own luck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We we structured up well. 
to make Geelong on the whole have kicks from poorer positions or under pressure, which resulted predominantly on them kicking points rather than goals. And that's not our fault. And that's ha- and for the last six years, that's happened to us time and time again as we've led to the pockets and, and kick, tried to kick goals from the pockets. And how often have we had more inside 50s and kicked more, but kicked more points and lost the game? Yeah, it's no different to what's happened. Well, then we've been the most un- we've been the um, the unluckiest side for the last six years, if that's the case. Yeah, but Look, um, I, think- I mean, it, it's not hard. It's not hard to imagine a reality in which you know Hawkins kicks one more goal, uh, the umpires create a fifty meter penalty from something that we do from playing consistent football, and then they've got two more goals, and then it's only two points in it, and then who the knows? Who knows what happens there? Sure, you know, it wouldn't have taken much. But all, all you can comment on is what actually happened, I think, and were we lucky? Yeah. Uh, a little bit, but as Rick said, you make your own luck. And at the end of the day, you know, we were the team that made the plays in the end. We were the team that turned turned up the pressure on Geelong. They couldn't handle it. We made sure that they had shots from, as other teams have done to us numerous times in the past, we made sure that they had shots from very low percentage areas, which meant that, you know, they, that's why they kicked five goals, 12. It wasn't like we just fell over the line. You know, we were the ones that made the plays and made it happen and made sure that we won the game. Simple as that. Well, and, and look, and... At, the, at the end of the day, we're talking about Geelong. And this isn't almighty premiership winning Geelong anymore. This is a Geelong that's won four finals and lost 12 finals in the last nine years. Like, you know, if you were to play that game again tomorrow, there is every chance again that they lose under the pressure of losing another final, which is exactly what happened. But, uh, and the and other look, thing that I take out of that is that we were the only team of the two of us that had a period where we genuinely exposed the other system and it started breaking. Like yeah. In that third quarter, we saw Geelong actually actively start breaking down and doubting their own system. We didn't do that in that game, and Geelong absolutely 100% did. Uh, and that's something that was, I think, probably a huge difference between our teams. And not to mention, look at the uh, the campaigners that we're talking about here, Bickley, Hodge, Lingy and Wallace. I mean, are there four less credible media personalities to uh, to cite um, facts from? I mean, geez. If, if you were to go to Luke just, Hodge and say, for the four grand finals in a row that you played in and the three premierships, and in the prelim finals where they were all decided by under six points, you know, were you lucky? Did you deserve to win any of those games? Because I don't think you did because the opposition fell over. You say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so to Luke Hodge, I say, go fuck yourself. We deserve to win that game. That's 100%. Very true. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But we still are lucky. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Winners every, are every team that wins a final in a close final is lucky. Collingwood were lucky. Yeah. You know, Brisbane were yeah. lucky. Uh, St Kilda were definitely lucky. Every every, every team's lucky. Who cares? <laughs> hey, gives a shit. They had to, Geelong were lucky that the umpires helped them stay in the game in the third quarter, and they got the rub of the green as some if fifty fifty calls. Otherwise, they might have been five goals down at three quarter time. Mm. Especially Lengy, like they only won the 07 prelim by what two points against Collingwood. That's pretty fucking mm-hmm. lucky. Let's not Here talk about okay. it. That's it. Done. <laughs> let's, let's, let's wrap up the prelim. Done. We've got a prelim to talk about. 
I don't know if we'll do Woo! a podcast or not next week, but uh, maybe we will. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Otherwise, well, we're we'll not doing back. a podcast next week. Well, we could. No, we're doing a preview podcast next week. We'll, we'll do a preview we podcast. We don't have a game to talk week. about next week. Well, we've got a preview. Well, next week. Oh, sorry, next week yeah. we do. Yeah. So yes. it might be might be another eight or nine days before we have another podcast. But yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yes. good. That's all good. When we were young. When we were young whippersnappers and we had nothing better to do, we'd we'd probably do a show just to talk about something. But yeah. um, when it, we're old, we're old school now, and our wives will, and partners will beat us. So uh, yes, well, we better not. Well, we we have just recorded an hour and a half podcast, Rick. So we're still pretty old school, thanks. That's it. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to come out to probably a, a rocky reception as she's had to deal with my beautiful daughter for the last hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I'm, All right. I'm out of here. Till next time, count the pair. Count for it. Ports. <laughs>